Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. Excited to have another episode here for you. A little throwback episode. But before we get into that, I've been uh, super stoked with the feedback that we've gotten to our last episode, Death in a Nut. Because like I said in the episode and to you privately, it's like, that is probably one of my favorite fairy tales of all time now. Because it's like, yeah. checks all the boxes. Makes you laugh, makes you cry. Yeah, no, and it literally, some of the um, feedback we've been getting is from people saying like, they're like, that made me cry. That was such a sweet story. I really liked that. Ones that were like, oh, that really made me think of like some of the people that I've like lost in my life. And it's that it was just like really sweet. It was really heartfelt. Or people who just like, it really resonated with them. And I was so happy because it is when people ask, like, what's your favorite like fairy tale, like folk tale? I'm like, Death in a Nut is my favorite. And then I proceed to like quickly give a rundown of the story. And yeah. it's about like a like someone's mom dying and people are like, okay. Wow, you sick freak. And you're like, no, yeah. but, but but just listen, hear me out. Especially because like a lot of people when I'm like, oh, I'm like really into folklore. Um, they're like, oh, you like princess stories. I'm like, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I like death coming for people's moms. So, yeah, thank you for everybody who's been uh, giving us, like, feedback. It makes our hearts happy. I also, I really loved the mustard seed tale that you shared in the conversation we had. And it's, like, just another one of those things, like, when you're in conversation with, like, somebody else and you're hearing their thoughts, it makes things, like, so much richer. Yeah. And so, like, it was just that episode making it was just good for my soul. Yeah, and we ended up having, like, a good conversation after we had cut like not even the same day, but like just via text or whatever about that story and like applying it to, you know, people we knew or whatever yeah. or like our own lives. So that was, that was one of the most like get, getting me thinking episodes that we've had in a while. But today we're going to do some backtracking all the way back to April. Oh, what a different time it was back in April. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Every month feels like eternity. <laughs> so back in April, we did Animal Brides. And one of the stories that we told was Hassan of Basra. And the reason, I have two reasons why we're backtracking to that tale. One was because I was kind of sad that I decided to rush over the ending and simplify it to like the extreme. And... I know why I did that, like, at the time. It was to make room for the tale that Jeff needed to tell of the frog princess in, like, Russia. And so I understand why I did it, but it was a really kind of, like, crappy thing to do to just, like, not do <laughs> justice to, like, the whole second half of that story. I had covered the things that we kind of needed the most of, for the Beauty and the Beast series that we were doing. But no, like for the audience, I know that was like, that was 
a disservice and maybe nobody kind of felt like it was a disservice, but maybe after today, when I retell you the rest of the story, you'll realize how much of the story yeah. I cut out. You'll realize how disserved you actually were. You can be offended yeah. retroactively. Excellent. So I'm, we're probably never, ever going to like structure an episode like that again, where I am like, and the second half of that story, we don't need it for right now. So I'm sorry I robbed all of you of the second half of the story, and so I'm about to give you the rest of it. Uh, but the second reason uh, that we're going to be telling the rest of this story is because Jeff actually was looking through some pictures of uh, when he lived in Japan, and he found some pictures of a story, and looking through the story, he was like, this looks familiar. Yeah, it was really crazy because I... It was it was just like a really random reason that I was looking back through these pictures of when I was in Japan. I found them like on a hard drive or something that I was trying to reorganize. And I looked at this picture and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I saw this really interesting um, presentation at a planetarium randomly when I was in Japan. And I had been there for like four months. So I didn't really understand what was going on. But they had kind of like this display outside. Because the whole thing was they had these like hand-drawn things that they would like project in different ways. And like they weren't animated, but they would like make them move across the top of the planetarium to tell the story. And so out in the like foyer, they had copies of all these pictures. So like after you went out, you could go and look at it again. So I took a picture because I was like, I know I want to remember this because when I get better at Japanese, I might actually be able to understand what it was that I heard. But looking at it again, I was like, oh my gosh, so much of this sounds like what we heard in the first half slash third of a son of Basra. Cause it starts off with this guy who's like a fisherman and he's out like catching fish and he goes up to this beautiful lake or actually, I guess it's a river. He's at the side of the river and there's this woman who's bathing in the river and he sees her and he like kind of falls in love with her and he looks over and he sees that her clothes, which is like this really beautiful, magical looking like cloak is hanging in the tree. So he grabs it and hides it away in his like clothes and he like calls out to the woman and she's like oh my gosh where are my clothes and he eventually you know kind of tricks her almost into marrying him but then they like fall in love and they have like a kid and all sorts of stuff happens and it's just so crazy because like that is so nuts that that is in like Hassan of Basra like how did this element get into this Japanese story that like it's apparently tied to because the city I was living in is has this really big festival called like the star festival or like the Tana Tanabata Matsuri, which is like about this whole, you know, mythological story that apparently comes originally from China that made it to Japan in like the eighth century. So it's just like, it was just really crazy to see these elements popping up. I was like, there's gotta be some sort of relation somehow, you know? And it's like, I wonder if some of the later things that happen in this story are kind of similar to what happens in the second half of Hassan of Basra. I'm interested to find out. So, and that's what, that's what super bummed me out was like, when we were having this conversation, you were messaging me, you were kind of like, Oh yeah, I see some of these elements in Hassan of Basra, but like the second half is like way different and I was like, well, no, the second half isn't way different because like in Hassan of Basra, he does have to go on this like really long adventure to get his wife back. And Jeff's like, mm, I don't remember that being covered. And I was like, oh, no, it's because I cut out the whole <laughs> second half of the story for time. Oh, man. 
So there we go. So it probably is even more familiar than I even know. Yeah, I was like, I yeah, I did everybody a disservice. I did Jeff a disservice. <laughs> I did this podcast a disservice. Man, everybody who listens doesn't know the whole second half of Fasada Basra. And so I was like, I'm going to I'm going to tell you the second half. I have to. And with like my sincerest apologies for refusing to give it to you. I also figured it would kind of be good back when we first like told the story, I kind of teased that eventually we'd be doing the thousand and one nights and more information on it later on. And it's actually going to be kind of the next big series. And so we're already working on how we're going to, to do the next kind of series. Like we did the series with beauty and the beast. And so I thought this would be kind of just a fun little, little teaser something to get people excited to hear more about these tales. So I have a book by Marina Warner called Stranger Magic, and it's all about the Thousand and One Nights or the Arabian Nights stories. But there's just a little quote that I wanted to read. So it says, this tale is technically shorter than a Shira or Romance of Chivalry, but it's a lot longer than a Kabar, the equivalent of a fairy or folk tale. And so it was just interesting to like, you know, have an expert be like, yeah, you might notice this one's kind of long. And so it doesn't show up in, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is kind of long. So it doesn't show up in all of the editions of Thousand and One Nights that were being translated into English. And that's because of the length of it. They traditionally did some of like the shorter ones first to see, you know, gauge like the interest because it's a lot to translate. And so, yeah, buckle in. Because I'm going to tell you the rest of Hassan of Basra. So, previously on the Fairy Tellers. <laughs> okay, so I have to give you guys like a rundown of like what happened. But again, this story is super, super long. So I have gone through point by point to make sure that I cover all this stuff. But also that I do not linger. Because if you want to listen to the version of the story where I linger over the whole like first half of it. You can slide back to Animal Brides, episode 19. But really fast, this is the first half of Hassan of Basra. It's also called um, Hassan of Basora. I think it's also called Hassan of Basora and the Daughter of the Jinn. It has like a million names. Again, because it's been translated by a bunch of different people into English. So there once was a young man named Hassan, and he was working with a goldsmith. A man from Persia came in, and we talked on the show a little bit about how this story uses Persians as the enemy outsider. So this would have been a hint and a giveaway for anybody living in that time that like, oh, this is the bad guy coming into the story. So the Persian came into the goldsmith's shop, and he told Hassan that he's going to show him some magic. He turned copper into gold with some magic powder and fire. Alchemy! <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is bad because it is infidel magic. It is working against God. And so this whole story is kind of about Muslims versus the like old religions of the area. And alchemy was considered like a pagan uh, practice. But he gives Hassan the gold and Hassan sells it, gets a bunch of money. So now he feels indebted to the Persian for making him rich and showing him this cool alchemy. So Hassan takes the Persian home with him. His mother does not trust the Persian because he's Persian. 
<laughs> Again, we talked about this last time. It's racist. So, <laughs> and it pops up in fairy tales all the time because lots of stuff about outsiders and people who are inside your culture and outsiders are dangerous. That's a whole thing. But anyway, Hassan ignores his mother because he was like, gold, mom, this guy can make gold. So Hassan feeds the Persian, but the Persian puts drugs in Hassan's food and Hassan passes out. Surprise, the person is a magi and he's <laughs> evil. Oh, no. <laughs> he takes good Muslims and he murders them because he's an outsider and outsiders to your culture and religion shouldn't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't my words. <laughs> These are the fairy tale. So the Persian puts Hassan into a chest and he puts him on a boat. So Hassan wakes up in a couple days on the boat and the boat is like going to capsize. I don't think I fully covered this in last time, but the, there's a bunch of danger on the ship and Hassan kept turning to God to save them and God kept saving them. So the Persian was like, oh, I promise not to harm Hassan because he, I, because the Persian was going to convert. He's all for uh, God and Allah. He is converted. So they get off the boat. Now they're in a desert. The Persian beats a drum and camels come out of the sand, which Jeff at the time was like, that sounds awesome. And yeah. it's still, it still sounds awesome. It does. So they climb onto these camels and they walk for seven days. As they're walking, they see a palace in the distance. And Hassan is like, I wonder who lives in the palace. And the Persian's like, mind your business. We don't need to know who's in the <laughs> castle. Leave it alone. <laughs> Foreshadowing. So they get to the mountain that parts the skies and it's just straight up into the sky. And the Persian says to Hassan that he has to get up there so that he can get the stuff that the Persian needs to make alchemy, the special powder that he had used to turn the copper into gold. Hassan was like, I can't. It's physically impossible. It's not because I'm trying to be rude to you, dude. It's just that the mountain goes straight up. And the Persian was like, it's fine. I have a plan. And I owe you because I almost took your life and I'd really like to get you some of this alchemy powder. And Hassan's like, that is so nice of you. <laughs> so the Persian lights a fire and he beats his drum. And again, the camels pop back out of the sand. The Persian slits open the camel and he skins it. Then he tells Hassan to lay down in the skin, Tauntaun style. <laughs> <laughs> so Hassan lays down and the Persian gives him a knife and he tells Hassan, okay, you're going to feel like you're flying through the air, but when you feel like you're back on solid ground, slit the skin open. So then he sews Hassan into the camel skin. So the Persian hides behind a rock and waits. Pretty soon, down, down, down from the mountain comes a rock, which I mispronounced the last episode, I said Roke, but it is Rock, and it is a giant eagle-like creature. It is like a dragon-sized eagle. Think like in Lord of the Rings, except that the Rock is Arabic intellectual property. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but yes. Okay, so it grabs under the camel skin, thinking that it's a delicious camel meat, and it flies it back to the top of the mountain that parts the skies. And its nest is at the top. It drops Hassan into the nest and then it flies off. Hassan takes the knife, slices open the camel skin and hops out. So he sees he's surrounded by sticks from the nest and bones from previous victims. So he shouts down the mountain to the Persian that all he sees is sticks and bones. The Persian says to make six bundles of the sticks and then throw them down the mountain. He said that's what he grinds up to make alchemy powder. In a different version of the story, there's herbs that grow on the top of the mountain, and that's what he bundles up and throws down. 
Regardless, Hassan does exactly what he was told. And then he shouts down the mountain. Okay, now how do I get back down? And the Persian is like, you've been played, bro. (laughs) He's like, I was never going to get you back down. You're so dumb. Like, why do you keep trusting this man? Anyway, if this gives anybody some vibes from like Aladdin, it's supposed to because this story, this character is a early prototype for the character in Aladdin. Mm. Bring me the lamp. <laughs> He's like, grab my hand first and me the lamp. Like, yes, it's the same exact thing. Like, no, <laughs> he just he just wants the magic stuff. He's going to leave you for dead. It's the same. So Hassan is at the top walk around the nest, and he decides that he would rather jump into the sea than jump into the desert that he had come from or get eaten by the rock. <laughs> when I said the rock, I thought about <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson, like... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I haven't met my, my protein. I'm like, I would, I would rather jump into the sea than be eaten by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> Haven't met my macros for the day yet. You look like you're high in protein and low in fat. (laughs) So first he prays for the divine. And as Jeff said in the last episode, he takes a leap of faith. So the wind from God carries him down to the desert in safety. So he starts walking back until he gets to the palace that he had seen early in the story. I told you it was foreshadowing. (laughs) Gotta, Gotta trust me, people. So he goes into the palace and there are two women sitting in these just luxurious chairs chatting with each other and laughing. And they see him walk into the room and they're like, what are you doing here? So Hassan was like, I don't know. I think maybe God led me here. And the ladies were super excited because they had been bored for years. So there were seven (laughs) sisters whose father was a djinn. And he had sent them away because he was worried that men would be attracted to them and want to marry them. And that's bad because they were jinn. And jinn are a type of genie. There are actually several types of magic genies that we will get into later. Ooh, nice. Because we're going to meet a bunch. Sweet. So the father had sent his daughters to this like secluded palace uh, so that no human men would want to marry them. But then in pops like Hassan. But don't worry, Hassan's not interested in them. So the other five sisters who were out hunting, they came back and they are warrior jinn women. Most of the women who are jinn are warriors, like Amazon warrior tough Sick. ladies. So they got back from hunting and they're like, who's this jabroni? And... <laughs> They were like, this is Hassan. Like, he was in the area, (laughs) abandoned. And everybody was like, sweet, we love Hassan. He became like a brother to them, and he thought of them as sisters. And he lived with them for about a year and a half. They would hang out all the time. And they knew the Persian, because they had dealt with him before, which is why the Persian was like, mind your business, don't go over there. They go on a tiny side quest that we don't get into in the last episode. But what you do need to know is that they went on the side quest. They killed the Persian because he was trying to do the exact same thing to a different Muslim boy that he did to Hassan. Oh, man. So they kill him. They send the boy back, but they take the magic drum that gets the dromedaries going. 
out of the sand, the camels. You just look confused, Jeff. I so did. I didn't know. Dromedaries. <laughs> Dromedaries is just another word for camels. Okay. Oh, I The more <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I said that like it was. Dromedaries I'm like, is it's what gets the dromedaries going. <laughs> and you're like, that was not an animal name we covered <laughs> on the podcast. But now we know it. Yes. Okay, so months later, the Jin sisters, which is what I'm going to keep referring to these ladies as, the Jin sisters. Or the sisters Jin. The sisters Jin. <laughs> their father sent some royal attendants to go and get the sisters because there was apparently some kind of wedding event they had to go to. Hassan hid because he 100% was not supposed to be in that palace. On account of being a human man. <laughs> the exact reason that they were hidden away in this palace to be away from them. Exactly. So the attendants say that there's this like royal event. They need to go to it and they're going to be gone for a month. So the sisters start packing up and they tell Hassan, hey, just stay in the palace. You'll be totally fine. Eat whatever you want. Wander wherever you want. Here is a key to a room that you are not supposed to go into. <laughs> so that was one of the main big important elements of like why we talked about that story when we did, because there is no key room situation in Cupid and Psyche or East of the Sun, West of the Moon. But it's an element that then we see pop up in Bluebeard and in some versions of Beauty and the Beast, like a secret room you're not supposed to go to, like it's it pops up in a key that yeah so that was one of the reasons why the story was covered so the sisters leave and the first couple of weeks he's totally fine kept himself busy he's not even interested in like what's behind the door but then he starts thinking i have this key why won't my sisters like let me go into this place and he's like it's probably for my safety but in a moment of weakness he decides to use the key and he slowly peeks inside the room was empty except for a staircase that was at the back of the room. So obviously he went to the staircase and climbed up it. <laughs> and when he got to the top, there was a rooftop door that he opened and he climbed out and he found himself on this rooftop garden. He sees this large pool that's covered by a trellis and beautiful climbing plants that form this canopy over the top. So while he's looking at it, he hears a sound in the sky and he looks up and there are 10 large white birds flying over. They never say swans. They never say swans. But I stress that because <laughs> whatever culture has this like story variant, they stick whatever animal in there that makes sense to them and their location. Yeah. And that's why we have the swan maiden story that people might be familiar with. Yeah, and like European. What would it have been in the Middle East then? It could have been a crane, an ibis, a goose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, it could, yeah, just like any, gotcha. like, yeah, just bird. Or it could have been, because sometimes what happens is animals are white because albinism happens in a lots of different animals, and it normally makes them mysterious elevated in stature more Yeah, because they're rare yeah it's like when you see a white peacock you're like whoa that's, that's cool yeah so yeah things that are animals that are white usually have some kind of like mystery about them but they never say swans in the story i just want to stress that because <laughs> 
Because, yeah, sometimes if a Western mind hears that they white, large white birds, they automatically are like, oh, yeah, swans. It's like, it never said that. It's fine. So these birds are flying over. So he ducks and he hides to watch the birds and they fly in next to the pool. So then they rip their feather cloaks off and ta-da, they're women and they're naked. (sighs) And they're gorgeous. It says that they're gorgeous, naked, virginal women. I don't know how he can tell they were virgins by looking at them. That's not a thing. (laughs) And then we get some really awesome quotes where he's just talking about, like, how hot this woman is, which is some of my favorite descriptions ever. Because (laughs) he's just like, the rolls of her stomach made me want to glorify God, which is totally (laughs) something I can get behind. So (laughs) there is one woman who is more gorgeous than the other ones and his heart immediately filled with pain and heartache and longing to be with her. But he didn't move because he was obviously terrified of the magic women. So the women get out of the pool, they put their feather cloaks back on and they fly away. So Hassan went back into the empty house and he curled up into a cupboard and he just cried in there for 10 days (laughs) because he was so heartsick. And just smitten with love for this bird woman that he had just seen naked. (laughs) As you do. So the Jin sisters, they come back from whatever wedding event that they had to go to. And the youngest one finds him in the cupboard. And she's really worried about him because she's like, you look bad. You look like you've been in a cupboard for 10 days crying. (laughs) So she asked him what was wrong. And with some prodding, he confessed that he had used the key to go to the rooftop gardens. The youngest Jin sister didn't know what he was talking about because she had never used the key. She had just been given it by her father and told to take care of it. AKA she was actually obedient and didn't go into the thing, which is probably why she like trusted Hassan. She didn't understand that that's like a temptation beyond his capacity as a human being to withstand. That she's just like, oh, hold on to this for me because the, the key has to stay with the house for whatever reason. So, yeah. Anyway, so he takes her up to the top and she's looking around the gardens and she's like, okay, I think I understand what went on. This palace used to belong to the king of all the jinn. Her father was just a viceroy, like to the king of all the jinn. And so she was like, uh Oh, I think what might've happened is you saw the oldest of the king of the jinn's daughters, like taking a bath. And he was like, Okay, what does that mean? And she's like, okay, well, they come on the new moon to, like, use these, like, rooftop baths. But you can't be with this woman because she is the king of the jinn's daughter. Like, you can't be with her. She's way out of your league, bro. Yeah. And I want to emphasize that she thought it was the oldest of the king of the jinn's daughters that's going to be important later in the story is why i double emphasize it noted so hassan was like i really want to be with this woman how can i be with this woman and the youngest jinn sister is like you you you, you cannot that would be stupid and he's like no i really need this and she was like okay the only way that it's ever going to happen is if next time she comes here for her new moon bath You figure out which cloak is hers. You hide it from her. Then when her friends, 
her attendants get out of the water, they'll put on their cloaks and they'll fly away. And she'll be standing there like, where's my cloak? Do not give her back her cloak. Grab her by the hair and drag her into the palace. <laughs> That's the only way to get her. I love how this person's like, she's way out of your league. But if you want to go for it, here's exactly the steps that you need to take. <laughs> she's like, here's what you need to do. How does she know that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good friend. <laughs> it's like, like, okay, you're dumb, but I'll help you. Kidnap your wife. So... That's exactly what Hassan did the next new moon. He went up to the top of the roof and he sits there waiting. The birds fly back. He took the cloak. He waited until all the others flew away. He grabbed her by the hair and dragged her naked into the palace. So in the Animal Brides episode, this is the part when I stopped giving tons of detail and I finished it off quickly by saying that the sisters helped him calm down the princess Jin and get her dressed. Dang, girl, <laughs> put a clothes on. And then I just wrap up by saying they got married. They moved to Baghdad. Some stuff happened with the mother and the mother gave the bird woman back her cloak. The woman put on the cloak and flew home. Hassan had to go on a quest to get her back. And eventually he did. And they lived in Baghdad happily ever after. That is super duper simplified at the end. So I will pick up where I left off. Hassan is dragging this woman by her hair. <laughs> into the palace. So she's naked screaming, being like, give me back my cloak. You're a psychopath, obviously. So he takes her straight to a room, partially to contain her, but also because she's naked. And he's like, and I need to dump you quickly and close the door because it's inappropriate to be dragging a woman by her hair naked. <laughs> Unless they ask, <laughs> you need to have a safe word. So anyway, he puts her inside of this room and he goes down to the youngest sister and he was like, okay, so I grabbed the woman, like I said I was going to do, and now she's in the room. And the youngest sister's like, I can't believe you went through with this. That is insane. So dumb. <laughs> so the youngest Jin sister, she goes in to the Jin princess and the Jin princess sees this other Jin, and she's like, my sister. <laughs> WTF. How, yeah. How can, like, we're supposed to be women helping women. Like, what is this nonsense? She's like, how could you, a djinn, do this to another djinn? What is going on? So the youngest djinn sister, she tries to explain, like, Hassan has been living with, like, me and my sisters in this palace for the last year and a half. He's been a total gentleman. His intentions are not bad. He just really, really loves you and he wants to marry you. I promise he's not a freak. <laughs> so the Jin princess is like, Jin women can't marry humans. You know that. That's why your father sent you so far away. He wouldn't want you to fall in love with a human man. How could you possibly think that I should marry a human man? And the Jin sister was like, okay, here's some clothes. I'm going to go and get you some food because this argument is going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not you when you're hungry. Let me fetch you a Snickers. <laughs> so the youngest sister leaves and the other six sisters come back from a hunt and they're like, 
hey, what's going on? We just saw Hassan. He's acting really weird. He's like super freaked out. Even weirder than that time when he cried in the closet for 10 days. (laughs) So the youngest Jid sister, she just tells him like, okay, so we have like a minor kidnapping situation (laughs) on our hands. She's like, it turns out Hassan loves this daughter of the king of the jinns. And so he kidnapped her when she was bathing on the roof just now. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew him. <laughs> 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 he tied her to the kitchen chip. No, that's, that's not right. Um, <laughs> so the jinn sisters were like, oh my gosh, we need to go talk to her about this. Like, this is a bad situation, like, all around. And so they go into the room, and the princess Jin is basically like, okay, bring me my feather cloak, and I will just leave, and I will not tell anybody that you kidnapped me. Because <laughs> this is full-on a kidnapping situation. <laughs> it's like, this is escalated. And it's like, it's like, we're getting really close to like a Fargo situation. It's like, mm. <laughs> just kidding. It does not go that far. Little Coen Brothers reference there. No one gets thrown through a wood chipper. No one gets thrown through a wood chipper. So the sisters actually then just like pull a lie out of their butts. And they say, sorry, lady friend, that feather cloak has already been burned to ash. So you're not going anywhere. But we want to tell you about Hassan. So he's out there <laughs> reciting. Poetry. I love that they're just like we. <laughs> they're like they're playing matchmaker. They're like doubling down on like, hey, we know that this guy kidnapped you, but here's all the great things about him. Like, as if there's <laughs> anything that they could say that would like be able to overcome this horrible first impression that he's made by dragging her b- naked by her hair and locking her in a room of the palace. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, dude, this is not the start of a beautiful friendship. This is not how marriages start. This is not a meet cute. (laughs) It's not what this is. So they're like, our buddy Hassan right now, he is outside reciting poetry about how beautiful you are and how hot your body is. (laughs) And like how he's going to die without you in his life. So if you are looking for a man who's going to love you fully and completely, like you've got him right there. He is like fawning all over you and he will do so for the rest of his existence. It's disgusting how into you he is. (laughs) So the princess was like, okay, leave me while I consider what my options are. And they're like, all right. So when they came back to bring her in some food later, she was like, okay, do you promise me that he hasn't been a total creep to you ladies? He's not some kind of pervert, right? <laughs> Which I like. That's a, and then she's like, it just it feels like he's a pervert. <laughs> the watching me while I bathe and then dragging me naked out here, like it just he's thrown off some real pervert vibes. And so they were like, no, he's been a total gentleman to us. Like he loves you. It's not some thing where he. Yeah, he doesn't want you for a night, and then he's going to, like, run off. Like, this guy's, he's committed. And she's like, okay, fine. I'll marry him. So the Jin sisters get Hassan, and they tell him the good news, and they have a little wedding right then and there. Because I guess the Jin sisters have the power to perform weddings, I guess. I don't know. 
I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> they went online and got that like certificate that everyone can get when their like friend asked them to officiate at their backyard wedding. They're like, yes, I have been ordained a minister of <laughs> of the Church of Wedding Certificates and Ordinations dot com. <laughs> so Hassan and the princess are married, but Hassan starts to have these really bad dreams where he sees his mother just bawling her eyes out and in full grief over his disappearance. And he's realized he's been gone for almost two years. And the last time his mom saw him, she had said to him, Hey, don't trust that Persian. I think he's bad news. (laughs) So Hassan kind of realizes that he needs to get back to his mom. And so he tells the Jin sisters that he is going to have to go back to Basora to take care of his mother, which they completely understand, but they're also really heartbroken because they really, really love having him there. And also his wife has never lived in like basically like the human world, like the human domain. So she's not thrilled about going. And as they're packing up all of the stuff on the back of like the camels, the youngest sister is like, Hassan, please come back and see us whenever you can. Please come back in like six months and visit us. We would love to see you. Which, okay, it seems like a pretty long dromedary camel ride to make every six months, I'm just going to (laughs) say. Like, I'm a person that I don't even want to drive to like my in-law's house. It's like 10 hours away. Every six months. So he pulls out the drum that I said he got from that Persian after he killed the, (laughs) after he killed the Persian (laughs) and he bangs on the drum and the dromedaries or camels, Jeffrey, (laughs) they came out of the sand. He hops on, they put bags and bags of treasures onto other, uh, of the camels and they go back to Besora. So obviously he knocks on his mom's door. She sees her son is absolutely overcome with happiness that he's back. And he's got a gorgeous hot wife that she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Because, I mean, she for sure thought he was dead. And she's like really proud of her son because he's like <laughs> really come up in the world. He's got bags and bags of stacks on stacks. Uh <laughs> All that like gold and jewels and everything like on the camels and hot wife. So the princess isn't super happy to be at Hassan's mom's house. And so Hassan's like, it's fine. I'm going to use this money to buy us like a bigger house. We'll have like so much more space. And the mom is like, okay, wait, wait, wait. We're going to have to explain to people in our town where all this money came from, or they're going to think that you're into alchemy, which again is not great because alchemy is a thing that infidels do. So she's like, what we should do is we should all just move to Baghdad because then we can just kind of like pretend we've always been rich. And they're like, that sounds like a great idea. So they moved to Baghdad into a super big house and Time passes, and pretty soon it's been three years since they left the Jin sister's place. And his wife has had two sons a year apart, which I'm like, whew, oh, girl. (laughs) My condolences. (laughs) So he has two sons, Nazir and Mansoor. And 
So it's been three years and he's starting to think, man, I haven't seen my gin sisters in so long. I was supposed to go and see them after six months and I didn't. I am going to go and visit them. So he goes to his mother and he says, I'm going to leave you here with my wife and my two kids. I'm going to go by myself on holiday for a month to go visit my gin sisters that live like off over here. But I have to tell you something. My wife is actually a gin and I stole a feather cloak off of her and I still have that feather cloak. It is in the basement, under the stairs, buried in the ground, inside of a chest, like a trunk. So don't let her down there. Keep her away from the cloak. And the mother was like, oh, man, I, yeah, I definitely will keep her, like, away <laughs> from that cloak. But his wife overhears him telling his mom Of this. course she does. And she was like, What? Because the Jin sisters had told her that he had burned it. Yeah, she's like, oh, well, I guess I can't go back no matter what. So I might as well. Like, if my prospects are what they are, this is all I've got going for me. Exactly. It changes everything that she can go back. Yeah. And she's like, he's all like, oh, I miss seeing my sisters I lived with for a year and a half. But he doesn't take her back. He leaves her in the human world with her mother-in-law. And she misses her family that she got kidnapped from. And she's like... And the cloak is just in the basement this whole time. I'm going to murder somebody. (laughs) So she is super, super pissed. Yeah, understandably. Yes. So Hassan tells his mom, whatever you do while I'm gone, do not leave like the compound, like the house, like compound. Don't go out of the gates. I will be gone one month and I will come back. But do not leave. Don't let her out and don't let anybody come in. And the mom was like, okay, got it. Hide the cloak, lock down for the next, like, month. I got it. <laughs> do do some puzzles. Yeah, do you like puzzles? Maybe, maybe a few board games, catch up on your Netflix. Oh, my gosh. Like, we all feel that pain. So <laughs> there's so many of these stories where it's like, and then they were locked inside their house for, like, at, like put in space of time. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we all been there. So, he bangs on his drum, dromedaries, pop out of the ground, he gets on him, rides off. He gets to his sister's house, they're all so happy to see him, he's just hanging out, having a good old time. Meanwhile, back at his house, (laughs) his wife has got a little plan. So she flops on the ground, and she's sobbing, and she's just like heavy sobbing on the ground. Hassan's mother goes over to her and she was like, oh my goodness, my dear daughter, like what is wrong? And the like princess Jin is like, I'm just so sad because I haven't been able to go and have like a full body bath since I've had like my two kids. And I really just, I just miss having a bath and not being gross. And I had babies and I feel gross, which girl, me too. So <laughs> sometimes I realize I've gone a long time without a shower as well. <laughs> so she's like, will you please take me to the like women's bath house? 
And Hassan's mom in her head is like, I'm not supposed to take her anywhere because I promised uh, my son that I wouldn't take her anywhere. So I probably can't. So she is like, oh, I'm so sorry. We we're supposed to stay in here. So I can't take you. And the gin princess is like, I guess I understand. And just like sobs and sobs until the mom is like, oh, my gosh. Like, OK, I will take her to the bath. It'll be totally fine. We'll kind of go fully, fully covered so that nobody can kind of see that there's this like super hot wife. No one will ask us questions or wonder who we are or whatever. So she takes her to the bath house and the descriptions of this, I'm like, this so hot. (laughs) (laughs) So they get to like the bath house and the gin princess, you know, strips off all of her clothes and super, super gorgeous. And everybody in like this lady's bathhouse are like, oh my gosh, who is that woman? She is so hot. Look how attractive she is. And they're all just like staring at her and she's just like dipping herself in the water. Like, oh, glistening, gorgeous. It's like, yeah. And so the report of her was noised abroad in Baghdad and the women of the city flocked to gaze upon her till the bath was so crowded that there was no passing through it. Oh my gosh. Which I'm like, I don't know about you, but like when I'm bathing, I don't need 100 people (laughs) looking at me. You don't need an audience. (laughs) Yes. I don't need an audience. I I get better off doing it by myself. Yeah, and it's... (laughs) All the women fell to gazing on the princess and glorifying God for that he had created so glorious a form. Man. <laughs> I wish I wish when I got into like a bath that I also was just like, oh, good job, God. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a real confidence booster. Yeah. So the caliph, who is the civil and religious leader of a Muslim state considered to be a representative of Allah on earth. I read that directly from <laughs> a free dictionary. Oh, no, it's, it, it came really, really naturally off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so his wife's servant had gone to the bath and she saw the gin princess and was like, oh my goodness, this woman is so hot. So it said that the sight of the princess diverted the caliph's wife's servant from her bath. And so she wasn't even like, she was just like, no, I'm just here to watch. (laughs) (laughs) So she was there like a super long time. And finally, when the gin princess was like done bathing herself she got out of the water, dripping wet, soaking. <laughs> anyway, so she got her clothes fully dressed back on, and she went quietly through the the crowd with her mother-in-law. But the caliph's wife's servant kind of followed behind her because she's like, who is this lady? I got to know. So she followed her kind of back to her house so that she knew what house, and she saw it was this big grand house, and she's like, who is this? So she did some inquiring found out who lived there. So she goes back to the caliph's wife, Zubida, and Zubida is like, where have you been? You went to take a bath and you've been gone all day. (laughs) What is wrong with you? 
And she was like, no, no, no. Your royalness or whatever she calls her. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my lady. That's what she says. She's like, oh, my lady, you have no idea. I just saw the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my whole life. And Zabita's like, she can't be more beautiful than like the Khalif's uh, women that he has like in like the concubine houses. Like you've seen beautiful women before. I don't know why you're freaking out about this. And she was like, no, 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 my lady, this woman is unearthly beautiful, just so super gorgeous. And she described her as she is so beautiful that the caliph would have her husband killed to take her. (laughs) Hopefully not foreshadowing. Which I, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this story is going to go in a different direction than I thought. (laughs) Like, oh, it's going to really go like a King David and Bathsheba situation. Oh, man. But no, that's not where it's going. So Zabita was like, okay, she cannot possibly be that gorgeous. I'm going to want to see her. So she was like, go with this guard to the house and tell them that I want to see them right now. And so it was done. The servant went with a guard with a letter saying the caliph's wife, Zubida, would like to see you immediately. And at first, Hassan's mom was like, oh, we're really not supposed to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And the guard was like, oh, I mean, if you make the caliph mad, we could always just like go talk to him and come back and kill you later. (laughs) If that's more your speed. Yeah, like if that's kind of what you wanted to do with your day. And so Hassan's mom was like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Like, I'll come with you. So... They gather up the Jin princess, Hassan's mother, and the two kids, and they all go together to Zabita's palace. So they get in, and Zabita's like, I heard that you are very gorgeous, and I would like to see for myself. And the Jin princess is like, of course, I would love to do anything that pleases the caliph's wife. So she like, you know, undressed a little bit and she, they started playing music and she started dancing and she was gorgeous and she was mesmerizingly beautiful. And Zubita was like, you are so incredible. You are so talented. You're so beautiful. Do you have any more talents? And the djinn princess was like, well, I used to have this feather cloak that was super, super gorgeous. And it could help me do some like amazing like tricks. (laughs) But my mother-in-law has hidden it from me. And Zubita was like, is this true to Hassan's mom? And Hassan's mom is like, no, I don't know what she's talking about. And the Jin princess was like, no, it's in the basement under the stairs buried in the ground in a chest. And Zabita was like, um, is this true? And Hassan's mom's like, okay, so it might be true. Like (laughs) a little bit. And Zabita was like, then I'm going to send a guard with you to go and retrieve it. And if you block him, he is going to kill you. So Hassan's mom is super upset. She's like, man, my son told me not to take this girl out. And this is what I do. So they get back to the house. The guard goes downstairs, digs up the chest in the ground, pulls out the feather cloak and marches them all back to Zabita's. So they get there and the guard is like, beautiful lady, is this your cloak? 
And the gin princess is like, that is absolutely my cloak. She puts it on and instantly she starts changing into a bird and she's dancing and twirling all over the caliph's wife's royal chamber. And Zabita is just mesmerized. She's like, this is amazing. This is gorgeous. This is like insane. (laughs) And when the transformation is complete and she's turned all the way into a bird, she grabs her children and flies up to the rafters. And Zubita is like, that was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Please come down from the rafters and dance for us some more. (laughs) And the gin princess is like, absolutely, I will not. You don't even know who I am. (laughs) I am the daughter of the king of the gin. And how dare you treat me this way? Uh, I am not here for your pleasure, you puny little human garbage. (laughs) So she like turns to her mother-in-law and she was like, So I have a little note for you to give to your son next time you see him. She says, when thy son cometh and the days of separation are long upon him and he craveth reunion with me and meeting and the winds of love and longing agitate him, let him come to me in the islands of walk. And then she grabs her kids and she flies away. Dang. So Zabita like looks at Hassan's mom and she was like, whoa, what the heck? (laughs) 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 I thought this day was going to go differently. And Hassan's mom was like, yeah, she was a gin princess and the cloak was the only thing keeping her here. And Zabita was like, why didn't you say that when I asked you (laughs) for the cloak? And she was like, I didn't know how you were going to react. And Zabita was just like, okay, go home. I don't even know what to do with you. (laughs) So Hassan's mom goes back home and this is like, One of the most sad, but also just so dramatic things in like the world. The mom gets back to their house and she digs three graves in like the front yard and just is sobbing the whole time. Because she was like, it's like they're dead and gone already because we're never going to see them again. So Hassan has like a bad dream as he's at the gin sister's house. And he's like, something's going on at home. I need to head back. Cause I'm having more dreams about my mom, like being like sad. So beats the drums, hops on the camels and heads back over to his mom's house. So he gets there and his mom is just sobbing uncontrollably. And he's like, where's my wife? Where are my kids? And she's just sobbing and sobbing and he can't get her to talk. So he's like, Oh my goodness. Like, What am I going to do? So he's wandering around the house. He goes down into the basement and he sees the trunk broken open sitting down there and and it's empty. And he's like, oh, no. (laughs) Worst case scenario. Yeah, like that's not what I want to have happen. So he goes back upstairs and is like, mom, what happened? His mom's just like sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And he's. He's like, what's happened? And finally, she kind of is like, they left, they're gone. It's like they're dead. We'll never see them again. So he falls down and he's sobbing. So it says he sobs hopelessly for like a long time, which, yeah, this is the man who went into a cupboard <laughs> and cried for 10 days. <laughs> so I can only imagine. At his own house, climbs inside. Yeah, he's like, where's the best cupboard in this house? So he starts having a dream of his wife 
So in his dream, he sees his wife crying and repenting for what she had done, leaving in haste and going back home and being far away from her husband. So I guess like there was love there. She was mad. She act, she acted, I think, pretty reasonably. I mean, she'd been lied to, but now she's like, okay, maybe this is too far because I was mad at him, but I don't want to be gone from him for forever. But now I'm, yeah, made a bad situation. So he decides, okay, I'm having this dream. There is hope for our relationship. I can get her back if I just can figure out how to get her back. So he drums dromedaries back over to the Jin sisters and they're like oh my goodness what are you doing back it's only been a month since we last saw you <laughs> and he was like a horrible thing happened my wife she got the cloak she flew away I want her back and they're like oh buddy there is no way to get her back we told you if she gets a cloak there's no way you cannot get her back she's too far away and he's like no I really want her back <laughs> so they're like okay all we can think to do is we have an uncle and he knows some magic and he knows people who know people. Maybe he can help you. And they're like, we will summon him. So they took some perfume and they dumped it into a fire. And for some reason, that was the magic that called him back. It sounded a little creepy in the story because they were like, we have an uncle who really likes our oldest sister and has given her a gift of perfume. And he has said, anytime you wish to see me, pour the perfume into the fire and I will come as quickly as I can to your side. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what oh, kind of no. uncle is, mm, okay. Creepy uncle. But anyway, they dump the perfume into the fire and this uncle, they hear this loud trumpeting sound <laughs> and they're like, what in the world is that? So they look outside and there is an elephant running like full steam straight <laughs> for the castle. And he's like riding on the back of it and it's trumpeting like the whole way. <laughs> and I don't know if you know this, elephants aren't sprinters and elephants aren't long distance runners. Um, I don't know if you could tell by looking at them. But they're pretty um, good swimmers, surprisingly. I mean, I feel like I'd be a lot quicker if I was weightless also. <laughs> um <laughs> But so the mental image of that is just hilarious to me, like, because it's like, pew, this yeah. like super fast <laughs> elephant. Dude, and if an elephant's moving that fast, oh my get gosh, out like, the way. It's like an earthquake thundering towards <laughs> you. Yeah. So anyway, he gets there and he was like, why did you guys summon me? And they were like, we have a friend. And they explained his whole situation. And their uncle was like, oh, buddy, No. You are not going to be able to get that woman back. She is gone. Which I'm like, it's so funny because every single time he tells the story to somebody, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they basically. Honestly, I'm surprised you got to this point. <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, buddy, no, no. Absolutely not. So Hassan, you know, he's just like spouting off his poetry about like, I love her. She's like so hot. She's amazing. It's the most beautiful wood of the world. And the uncle is like, okay, buddy, we get it. We get it. Okay. You love her. So the uncle is like, there's no possible way you're going to make it to her. Between here and where your wife is, there are seven mountains, seven deserts, and seven islands that separate you. You're never... And all of those are filled with, like, horrible things that are going to come after you. There's no possible way that you can, like, get over there. Which I do want people to note how often we see the number seven. Mm. That 
in Islam, there are seven heavens. So cosmologically, seven is like a really important number. So it, it pops up a lot. Yeah. Just in case we want to know. Because it's like seven sisters in both of those like families. and then, Yeah. Uh, yeah. These like seven mountains, seven deserts, seven islands. And the uncle is like, okay, buddy, we get it. We get it. Okay. You love her. You're probably going to die. But I will take you to a friend of mine who knows even more than me. So they get on the back of that elephant and like, pew, like head out until they reach this mountain. They get to the base of a mountain and the uh, uncle is like, okay, here's a letter. Knock on this door, hand them the letter. Whoever comes, hand them the letter. Stay out here for three days. Don't move. Just stay there. And then whatever happens, happens. I can't guarantee that they're going to do anything about it. Hopefully they don't kill you. That'd be worst case scenario. And Hassan's like, okay, whoa, bro. So the uncle, <laughs> pew, heads off on his... Pachyderm. On his pachyderm. <laughs> so Hassan knocks on the door. Someone comes to it. He hands them the letter. They close the door. And he sits out there for three days, just waiting to see what will happen. So after three days, someone comes into the door and is like, okay, I would like to see you. And he's like, okay. So he comes in. And he is introduced to this guy, Abd al-Qudas. Wait, us. Al-Qudas. Al he meets his uncle's friend. <laughs> <laughs> so after three days, they open the door and they're like, come with me. And he's like, hope they don't kill me. So they head inside and he gets to meet the uncle's master, the the person who has taught him, the uncle, the magic that he knows. And he's actually the son of Belquis, the queen of Sheba. And he's like, okay, I read the note. Let me hear your story. Hassan tells him his story. And the guy is like, okay, just so you know, if we keep going, you're going to die. Like for sure. I'm like 99% <laughs> certain you're going to die. Or... Option two is I can give you a magic horse to just take you right home. That's an option. And Hassan's like, no, I want my wife. I want my kids back. I'm going to do this. And the guy's like, okay, but again, you're going to die. And I just need you to know that. And Hassan's like, I'm ready for it. It's like, <laughs> super. So they get on a horse and they travel underground for seven days. Riding on a magic gin horse underground. So, finally, after all their traveling, they reach these, like, catacombs. And it's a giant library. And there's a bunch of these, like, old men sitting around, smoking, like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like smoking hookah, like, talking with their friends about books and all that stuff. And they, like, turn and look and they're like, what is going on? And this guy was like, okay, hey, group, this is my friend Hassan. He's got a super sad story to tell you. And they were like, let's hear it. But just so you know, if we don't like his story, we're going to murder him. <laughs> and the, the uncle's friend was like, yeah, no, I already told him, like, it's totally fine. Just do what you got to do. 
So Hassan tells them his whole sad story about how much he loves this woman and how she's gone and he loves her. And they're like, wow, buddy, you really love her and you have really powered through. That's really impressive to us. We feel bad for you. So here's what we're going to do. We have an afrit that we will give you. And afrit is a type of jinn. There are several types of jinn. And there's no clear, depending on what you're reading, they all do kind of different things or have different like properties, but they're mm-hmm. not the same like across the board. It's like how in like some lore vampires, like you kill them one way, but then you'll get to another book and they'll be like, psych, it doesn't work on us because we're moon vampires or like <laughs> some like nonsense. And some just um, sparkle in the sunlight. Yeah. So, but what this Afrit can do is it can travel really far, really fast. Like it can fly like really, really fast. Sometimes they are like considered, they're like just immense. They're just like really, really large. Sometimes um, they are known for just being mighty and strong. There are also Mayrids that are going to come up. So all of these qualities are kind of like all over the place. But it's just another type of jinn. But they're like, we have this jinn, this afrit that works with us. His name's Dinash, and we'll uh, holler at him, see what's going on. <laughs> and they're like, okay. So they write him up this like letter. They hand it to him, and they're like, when you get to the other side. Oh no! What was interesting was they said to him, "You are going to pass through heaven tonight. When you pass through heaven, keep your mouth shut." Because if you start talking while you're up there, they're just going to find you and kill you. Just so you know. Because you're definitely not supposed to be in heaven right now. Do you understand? And Hassan is like, wow, yeah, I understand. They're <laughs> like, give this letter to the king that you meet on the other side. Okay? And he was like, okay, I get it. So, they throw some magic powder into a fire and out pops the Afrit Dinesh. And Dinesh is like, what can I do for you guys? And they're like, we need you to carry Hassan across the desert to the land of Camphor to the king. And Dinesh was like, sure, that sounds great. Hop on. So Hassan hops on and they fly straight up into heaven. And he keeps his mouth shut as he listens to the angels in heaven singing and glorifying God. And they ride for a day and a night. And in the morning, they get to the land of Camphor. Dinesh drops off Hassan and is like, good luck on your trip because you're going to die for sure, bro. <laughs> like you keep, People keep telling me that. And he's like, oh, I'm getting a bad feeling about this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Hassan walks for, I think it was like 10 days until he actually gets to the kingdom or gets to the palace of the king. And when he gets there, he knocks on the door. They're like, what do you need? He hands them the note. They're like, okay. So they take the note. They look at the note. They're like, okay, come inside. We need you to talk to the king. So he gets inside. He's like, hey. And the king's like, okay, what is your story? What is your deal? Because these like (laughs) scholars of the mountains have sent you with this like note, like what's going on? And he's like, so I have a problem that I love this woman. He tells him this whole story. And the king is like, oh, geez, buddy. The island of Wok, 
Like, are you sure that, oh, man, you're going to die? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, buddy, like, I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, okay. So tomorrow night, there is a boat that is going to be docked outside. It goes from here to the first island of Wok. But if you get on that boat and anyone sees you, they're going to kill you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And Hassan's like, yes, yes, I understand. And he's like, if you want, I can probably get somebody to take you back through those deserts. You can go home. Like, it's fine. No harm, no foul. And Hassan's like, no, no, no. I want to go there. I want my wife. And he's like, okay, buddy. So you need to sneak onto this boat. I swear, if anybody sees you, do you understand? And Hassan's like, yes, I get it. And he's like, okay, here's what you got to do. When you get to the other side, you have to sneak off the boat there are going to be tents all over that beach. You need to go and hide in one of those tents. The first person who you see, ingratiate yourself to them. And they're either going to kill you or they're not going to kill you. That's really their call. That's, <laughs> I, can't, like, I can't help you beyond telling you just how to get out there. And Hassan was like, okay, I will do that. And he's like, all right, good luck, bro. So the next night, this boat docks and these people who are fully clad from top to bottom in like chain mail and like swords get off of this ship and they're moving the cargo off. They're going to the merchants. They're, you know, doing their trade, doing stuff and they're loading up other goods onto the ship. So while they're doing that back and forth, loading merchandise onto the ship, Hassan sneaks himself onto the ship and he's hiding and he finds some women's clothing and he just puts on the women's clothing. <laughs> He's like, I might, I'm okay. So he puts that on. I don't know what his plan was. So he puts on the clothing and he's just hiding in the ship and it's dark because it's nighttime. So the ship takes the trip back across the water to the first island of Wok. As they start unloading the supplies, he jumps off, just runs into a tent, first one that he finds, and he hides inside of it. A couple hours later, one of those people who was like fully in like the like chain mail and armor comes in and they pull off their chain mail and he sees that it's a woman. Ooh. And he's like, whoa, what in the world? And it was funny because they described the woman and then he's like, she was hideous. And I'm like, ouch, because he's like, <laughs> like. This woman, she like, she pulls off her, like the, like chain mail. She's got blue eyes, a big nose. Her skin looked like it was almost hairless. Just a real freak. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> Not going to take that personally. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to flip through. Cause I, I'm like, I think I highlighted where he describes her. Cause I'm just like, that's hilarious. He's Blue-eyed and big nose. A calamity of calamities. <laughs> Grizzled old woman. Like, her face was pockmarked, bald-eyebrowed, which I'm like, okay, I have eyebrows. <laughs> um, gap tooth. <laughs> Woo. Running nose and uh, salivating mouth. And I'm like, oh, wow, because I think I described that in the last episode when I was saying like when they describe how beautiful somebody is, I pay attention in fairy tales because it yeah. shows what they liked at the time. So it was yeah. pretty funny when they're like blue eyed, big nose, 
freak. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Rude. So he sees this woman and he was like, oh my gosh. Hi, my name is Hassan and I am not here to do anything creepy. And she's like, what are you doing here? And he was like, okay, so here's my situation just real quietly so that nobody hears me and murders me. (laughs) Um, So really love this woman. I'm looking for her. She said, she told my mom that she was going to the Island of Wok. And so I've got here and she's like, how did you get here? How in the world? You had to travel through seven mountains, seven deserts, and now you're already on the first island of Wok? Like, how did you, what in the, who are you, dude? And he's like, I'm just very dedicated. (laughs) So the lady's like, I'm Shawahi, and I am actually the leader of this army of Amazon women. Men are not supposed to be on this island. If anybody sees you, and they can tell you're a man, you're going to be killed. You need to leave. And he's like, I can't leave because i got to find my wife. And she's like, okay, I feel really bad for you, dude. I really do. Okay, fine. I'm going to give you some women's clothing, some, like, chain mail. You've got to put it on, and I will march you through the islands, and I will help you find your wife. I know all the women on this island on, on these islands because I am their leader. And let me tell you about Shawahi. She is a magical old hag and she's lived a long and storied life. And a lot of the things that she's gone through in her life are going to come back to help us. I want you, when we get to a certain point of the story, if she reminds you of anybody, folklore wise, (laughs) I want you to say something. Okay. So she's like, okay, here's some chain mail. Put this on. You need to follow me because we're about to go through the seven islands of Wok. And let me tell you something. The seven islands of Wok are a bag of nightmares. <laughs> it's no walk in the park. <laughs> <laughs> so the first island is covered with trees that have human faces on all of the leaves that are oh, constantly gosh. screaming praises <laughs> up to God. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? Like, whose imagination is this? So the next island is covered with birds that sing so loudly that they make your ears bleed. (laughs) The next island is full of wild beasts that are constantly on the hunt to rip and shred anybody who dares go through the island. The next island is full of demons and monsters. (laughs) So... And then uh, I think it was the sixth island. They didn't name all of the different things on all the different islands, but the sixth island is full of various magic people, people who have learned the arts of magic. And on the last one, it's where like the queen of the Amazons is. So... Shawahi does not want to take him all the way to the Queen of the Amazons because she's known for being a bit of a... (laughs) (laughs) So all of these islands, it basically sounds like that second Hunger Games. (laughs) (laughs) Just surprised they went like, this one's poison gas. And this one's like, I was like, oh, okay. No wonder people thought he was going to die. Yeah, they're like, there's no possible way, buddy. So... Shawahi gives him some chain mail, 
so that he can pretend he's also a beautiful Amazon woman, uh, fully covered. And they march out. So they march through the islands. And as long as he stays with these Amazon warriors, nobody wants to bug them because they're Amazon warriors. Are you kidding me? They'll kick your butt. Yeah. So he's fully safe. They march through like all of those islands and he's able to stay safe. So they get to kind of like the second to last island and Shawahi is like, okay, so I'm going to order that all of the women from the island, you say your wife is on one of the, she's on the island. I'm going to order all the women from the islands to meet up here to take a bath. I'm going to put you inside of a tent. You just watch all of them go into the water. She says, if you pick out the one that's your wife and she does not corroborate your story, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> Do you understand that? Like I'm the, I'm like the general of these like women warriors. If you tell me that your wife is on this Island, she's going to be in this group. Just pick out which one it is. But if you are messing with me, just because you want to see a bunch of naked women, I'm going to kill you. Do you understand? <laughs> and he was like, yep, I understand. So she puts him in a tent right by the water, sends out being like, Hey ladies, it's bath time. You nasty, sweaty warrior ladies. <laughs> the ladies are like, sweet, we love bath time. So they all get into like the river and he's watching them all splash around. So he's like watching all these naked women in the water and he's like not seeing anybody who looks like his wife. And Shawahi comes over to him and she's like, okay, which one of these ladies is your wife? They're all here. Which one is your wife? Do I need to put them in smaller groups? <laughs> <laughs> so you can get a better look at them. And he's like, no, I don't see my wife here. Like, none of these are my wife. And she was like, no, no, no. You said she told you that they, she would be on the island of Wok, right? And you got all the way over here. One of these women is your wife. And he's like, no, she's not my wife. And Shawahi's like, okay, so describe her to me because I know all the women here. If you describe her to me, I will probably be able to tell like who it is. So he's like, yeah, I'll describe her. I know her pretty well. My wife is of surpassing beauty, dulcet of speech and sweet of fashion, as she were a bending branch. She hath a fair face, a slender shape, smooth cheeks, high breasts, great liquid black eyes, white teeth and soft red lips like coral. On her right cheek is a mole, I'm assuming her butt. And and on her belly, under her navel, is a sign. Her face shines as the round of the moon. Her waist is slight, her buttocks heavy, and the water of her mouth heals the sick. <laughs> and Shawahi, I absolutely love her. She's like, okay, I'm going to need you to give me a plainer account of her. <laughs> She's like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> he kind of like tones it down. Um, except like this part, I'm like, dude, don't, don't say this to anybody. That's like so inappropriate where he's like, she is cast in the mold of pleasantness. And between her thighs is the throne of a caliphate. <laughs> there is no such sanctuary among the holy places 
as saith in its praise the poet. And then he like launches into like quoting like a poet. <laughs> it's like, buddy, I don't think that's what the general of the army is asking you. But anyway, Shawahi is like, uh-oh, okay. Oh my goodness. You might be describing one of the king of the jinn's daughters. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was the queen of the jinn's daughters. And she's like, oh my gosh, buddy. <laughs> one, I just showed you all these naked ladies. <laughs> for no reason. And like two, she's like, no, 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 no. If I take you to the queen of the Amazons, she's like, the queen of the Amazons is an angry, scary person. And she is the eldest daughter of the king of the jinn. <gasps> and he was like, yeah. <laughs> that's on my wife. Yeah, that's on my <laughs> wife. And Shawahi is like, no, it's not your wife. And he's like, no, no, no. That's, that's like who my wife is. And she's like, okay, I'm going to take you to her and we're both going to get killed. <laughs> like one, because I definitely shouldn't have let a man this far in. And I showed you all those naked ladies. <laughs> she's like, and now I'm going to go. And she's like, she's like, if you are wrong, we are going to get murdered. Do you understand that? And he was like, I absolutely understand that. <laughs> she's like, great. Do you realize you're also going to get me murdered? And he's like, I'm willing to make that bet. <laughs> So he's like, okay, take me there. So Shawahi takes him to the last island with the queen of the Amazons. And they get to the queen of the Amazons. And she is also like, like fully covered so that nobody can look upon her. And Shawahi gets in there and she's like, hey, do you remember me? I was your governess when you were small. Because it turns out Shawahi was the governess to all of the king's daughters. Mm. And the queen of the Amazons was like, of course, Shawahi, what can I do for you? I owe you everything. I love you. You are wonderful. <laughs> Gorgeous. Anything you want. She's like, okay, so don't be mad. There is a guy who says that his wife is somewhere on the island. His wife and children are somewhere on the island. And the queen of the Amazons is like, excuse me, you brought a man on here? And she's like, wait, 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 wait. He said his, his wife is here. He's given me some pretty convincing, uh, like, details that makes me think, like, he's not lying. Can he come and talk to you? And the queen of the Amazons was like, fine, bring him in here. So he gets brought in and she's like, tell me your story. And he was like, okay. So he tells her the whole story and she's like, okay, I have one question for you, buddy. What's your wife's name? Uh-oh. Yeah, I was, I don't remember. We always just call her the daughter of the king of the jinn. And it is at this part of the story when you find out he does not know his wife's name. <laughs> <laughs> Which is super fascinating and like in a lot of mythologies, especially like I know in the like Judeo-Christian mythologies and the stories like of that region, to know somebody's name is to have control over them. Mm -hmm. So it's so fascinating to me that his wife never told him her name yeah. so that he never had full control. 
That's so interesting. Over her. That, Especially when all yeah. like a ton of these minor characters, we knew their name, like the little like, you know, special gin guy, like a freak or whatever that yeah, took him like, through the like, thing. Oh, it's like, oh, he had a name. We knew everybody's yeah. name, but not the, you know, his wife's name. And so he's like, I do not know my wife's name. And she's like, fascinating. You say you have kids. What are your kids' names? And he was like, okay, I do know my children's names. <laughs> Nazir and Manshur. And she's like, okay, I've never heard of these kids. Uh-oh. I, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, no, 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 no. My wife is somewhere on this island. She left a message for me. And he repeated the message that his wife had left for his mother. And the queen was like, okay. She wouldn't have told you to come here if she wasn't here. Because she wouldn't have known about us if she wasn't one of us. So I believe you that she is here. But I'm going to round up all of the women. And I'm going to have them undress for you. (laughs) She was like, if you tell me one of them is your wife and you are lying and they say you are lying, I will kill you. But if your wife is here, I'll let you live. And he was like, okay, that sounds good. So they rounded up all the royal women that were in the court and they undressed. And he, she was like, well, where's your wife? And he's like, I don't see her. I don't see her here. She oh, is no. not here, but my wife is here. And the queen was like, well, it looks like we're going to be doing some killing today. (laughs) (laughs) So the queen called Swathi and was like, all right, grab him and kill him. Swathi stepped forward. She kissed the ground in front of the queen. And she was like, listen, I told him he would be safe in this kingdom. I told him that you were generous, that you would listen, which I'm like, she did not. (laughs) She's like, she's going to kill you for sure, dude. She's going to kill you for sure, dude. She's a real... Um, so, <laughs> uh, she's like, he, I promised him he would be safe. And like, what kind of people are we, if we just kill anybody without due course, come into our kingdom, like we can just let him leave. It's fine. It won't, he's got a long trip. He'll probably die on the way, but God has <laughs> preserved, God has preserved him this far. Like, are you going to like go against that and kill him? Not to mention now he hath seen all our women, save only thyself. So do thou show him thy face. <laughs> and the queen was like, all right. So she stood up and she pulled off her hood. And his son looked at her face and was like, nope, that's not my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Because when I read that, I was like so amped up. Yeah. When it, when that, when, cause Sawathi was like convinced too, yeah. that it was like, because from the description, the fact that it was the djinn, that this is the oldest of the djinn's kids. Yeah. The djinn's daughter who way back at the beginning of the story was like an hour ago. Yeah. Um, the sister djinn had said, I think it's the oldest daughter of the djinn of the king. Yeah. So, so we, I was like, the buildup was there. Yeah, for sure. But no, (laughs) but Hassan looks at her and he's like, of everybody I have seen, you look the most like my wife. And the queen got a little smile on her face. (laughs) She was like, is that so? (laughs) That is 
Fascinating. <laughs> so the queen said, I have, she was like, okay, buddy, we're going to keep looking for that wife. You've given us a lot of clues. If we can find her and she claims you, we will let you leave. Mm. And he was like, okay. She's like, I would like you to go into another room and I want you to stay there for a bit. I'll call you when I need you. Got it? And he was like, okay. And then she's like, guards, take this dude away. (laughs) So they take him and they stash him in a cupboard. So the queen turns to Shawahi. She's like, you know who she's talking about now, don't you? And Shawahi was like, yeah. Yeah, I got it. I figured it out. She's like, all right. I want you to go to my half-sister. And I want you to tell her, hey, we know you have kids. (laughs) I want you to get those kids. Bring them here. I want to meet my nephews. I've never heard of these little children. (laughs) And then after you have possession of her children, we'll tell her to come on over and come get them. All right. (laughs) And Shawathi was like, oh, no, he is really stepped in it because it turns out he was not married to the eldest of the king's daughters. He was married to the youngest of the king's daughters, who was known to be the most beautiful Of all of his daughters. But she was the only half-sister. Oh, man. They have the same dad. They do not have the same mom. And there (laughs) is bad blood. (laughs) (laughs) So, Shawathi is like, oh, my goodness. This is going to be really bad. This is going to be so bad. So, she gets on a horse. And she rides out to the youngest of the Jinn's daughters, whose name... We finally get to know. Her name was Minar Essina. So Shawathi gets out to Minar Essina. And Minar Essina comes out and she was like, Shawathi, my governess, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in such a long time. And Shawathi was like, yeah. So funny thing about that. Apparently no one saw you for a big gap of time. How you been? And Minar Essina was like, I've been good, just staying, you know, close to home, just quiet. You know how I do, (laughs) my regular stuff. And Shawathi was like, so your sister, queen of the Amazons, um, (laughs) she wants to see your sons. And Minarasina's face just like drops because she's like, I am so busted. (laughs) (laughs) And Shawathi was like, I will keep them safe, but she wants to see them now. And Manarasina is like, I don't want to give you my kids. And she's like, you kind of have no choice right now. <laughs> so Manarasina gives them to Shawathi being like, well, I hope you take care of them as well as you took care of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's something I can do now. So Shawathi heads off with the two kids and Manarasin is like, I need to go see my dad (laughs) to talk to him about some stuff. (laughs) So she goes to visit him and he's like, Oh, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. She's like, yeah, about that. (laughs) So, (laughs) 
But she doesn't tell him like anything. She just kind of is like, hey, I just wanted to see you, remind you how much you love me. And <laughs> yeah, and he's like, hey, how about you stay with me and hang out with me? And she's like, actually, my sister wants to see me and I'd better go to see her. And he's like, yeah, you better because she could be such a... and she's like yep well bye dad and he's like bye honey i love you so manar asina she gets on a horse and she rides out she's about two days journey behind her kids meanwhile the queen of the amazons is like hey hassan i want to see you come here buddy so he comes out and she's like i have a surprise for you i want you to meet (laughs) some kids So she was like, hey, kids, come on out. And so Shawathi comes out and she's got like the kids and the kids immediately are like, father, 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 and run right to him. Yeah, it's adorable. But it was also like the queen of the Amazons was like, aha, my sister's a slut. (laughs) I know it. Because it's like, there's your proof that like her sister's been uh, keeping some secrets, living a lie. Yeah. So Manarasena. She gets there about two days later, and her sister's like, so, 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 how's it going? She's like, it's been fine. And her sister's like, hey, so guess what? I heard that you are a slut and a whore and a tramp, and I always <laughs> knew it, and I hate you. And Minara Sina is like, I'm not a slut. I am not a tramp, and I am not a whore. Because I was married. And she was like, if you were so married when you had these kids, why did you leave your husband? And she was like, I got upset because he lied to me. And she was like, nope, I don't care. So guess what? And she called Hassan and his kids into the room. And she's like, family reunion. Isn't this so special? So... (laughs) Hassan, is this your wife? And he's like, yeah, that's my wife. And she's like, that is super duper. You can leave now. We don't need you for the next half of this conversation. And he's like, what? And the guards grab him and they drag him to the outskirts of town and they dump him out there. Oh, man. And they're like, do not come back or you will get murdered. And he was like, what? Meanwhile, the sister is like, I cannot believe that you married a human man. You know we're not supposed to marry human men, and you did it anyway. I am writing dad a letter. So she writes her dad a letter being like, hey, just so you know, your tramp of a daughter has been slutting around. <laughs> <laughs> she had sex with a human man, sent that off to her dad, and the reply magically came back very quickly, and it was like, yeah, kill her if that's what you need to do. And which I was like, dad, (laughs) oh my gosh, I would have hoped that he'd be like, okay, go easy on her. But no, that is not what he does. He's like, yep, do whatever you want. So the queen of the Amazon decides that she is going to torture this woman to death slowly and in front of her children. She's a psychopath. Oh my gosh. So I'm not going to describe all the stuff that she does to her. It is neither here nor there. But she also takes Shawathi and she's like, and guess what? For bringing that man in here, I'm not going to kill you because I guess you were right. And this is pretty great, but I am going to beat you and demote you. You get nothing. We're done. Oh man. So Shawathi kind of like uses her magic to escape. Meanwhile, 
The story's so long, which is why I didn't tell it the whole time. <laughs> Even just the second half is so long. I know. What's funny is in that last episode, I joked that I would have to do this story in three parts. And now uh, I'm like, I'm like, I see what I was getting at. <laughs> <laughs> turns out I was right. Turns out I was right. So anyway, so Hassan's like, I don't know what I am going to do. So he just starts like walking. But pretty soon, he comes across these two young boys who are having this argument. And they are like, they're young kids. They're like on the ground beating each other, like shouting, having this big argument. And he's like, whoa, 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 what is going on? And they were like, oh, good. You might be able to help us. So our dad was a Magian, did a bunch of magic, uh, really good at what he does. And he invented these two really cool artifacts, and then he died. And we're fighting over which one of us gets to keep them. And Hassan was like, well, why don't, there's two of them, and there's two of you. Just one of, just grab one of each and just do it that way. <laughs> and the boys were like, you idiot. You don't even know how valuable these things are. You don't even know what they do. How can you decide, like, their worth and which one of us gets them? And Hassan was like, okay, you're right. I don't know what they are. What are they? They're like, well, one of them is a wand that controls the jinn, and not all of the jinn, but like, right? So, like, like it can call the names of the jinn that are inscribed on it. It can call like the jinn, and then this cap is an invisibility cap. Mm. And Hassan's like, okay, so which one is like more valuable? And they're like, the wand is more valuable. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah, idiot. And he's like, okay, but like the cap seems pretty cool too. I mean, maybe the younger one takes the cap and they're like, no, no, that's garbage. Like we both want the wand. It's none of, no, we have to fight for this. And Hassan was like, okay, 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 okay. Let's come up with a, a way to test which one of you is more worthy of like which thing. And they're like, okay, super great. Okay. And at this point in the story, I was super excited. I was like, oh my goodness, he's about to do some like crazy trick. Cause I was like, obviously he wants to get those magical items. Right. Uh -huh. So I'm like, he's a trickster character maybe. And he's like about to like maybe trick these kids. And I was really excited to see how he was going to trick these kids into <laughs> doing this thing. I was really amped up for it. Thinking it was going to be like, I was ready. I was ready for something amazing. And he was like, oh, I have an idea. Uh, I'm going to throw this rock and whoever picks it up and brings it back to me first gets the wand. And the boys are like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. He's like, super. So he picks up a rock and he chucks it really far. <laughs> and the boys take off running after it and he puts on the invisibility hat. <laughs> <laughs> and he picks up the wand and he just leaves. <laughs> 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 that's amazing i was like I was, I was so ready for it to be some like like a nancy level like yeah. trickery and it was like nope <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like hey go get this rock and then whoever oh my goodness oh man so he sneaks back into the city limits. He gets into the castle and he finds where they're keeping his wife and he finds her and she has been like beaten and is like all bloody mangled, messed up. And their kids 
are just like sitting next to their mother, like crying because they've had to witness her torture. And he goes into the room and he still has the hat on so she can't see him. And she's just like, I never should have like left. I don't know why I left my husband. You never know a good man until you leave him. Which I'm like, amen, sister. Amen. So, (laughs) and then he says, he like pulls off the hat and he's like, I never should have left you. I left you at my mom's and I should have taken you with me. And I'm sorry. Fault on both sides. Which I'm like, I don't think that's the only thing he needed to apologize for. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think there's a lot of reparative work that their relationship is going to need after this. (laughs) Yes, I agree. (laughs) So it says by the power of the objects, the magic objects that they have, they were able to, as a family leave the palace grounds but as they get to the gate they're like okay how are we going to get past this gate and then they hear a voice like hey guys over here it probably (laughs) didn't sound like mickey mouse (laughs) they hear a voice being like hey hassan over here and they like look over the wall and shawathi is sitting on a byzantine jar that has like a rope tied around it as reins. And she's just like riding on it (laughs) over the side. And they're like, what's going on? And she's like, so I know a bunch of magic. Turns out I'm a super magic woman. The only reason I wasn't using my magic all the time was because I didn't want to upset your sister, queen of the gym. But you know what? She can suck it. I hate her. (laughs) And they're like, wow, I didn't know you knew so much magic. And she was like, yeah, come with me guys. Okay. So Jeff, does that remind you of anybody at all? Uh, a hideous, magical being. Uh, I'm going to say like Baba Yaga. Yes. <laughs> this is an early prototype of Baba Yaga. And she even has that kind of like, hey, I'm going to kill you. Oh, wait, no, actually, I decided I want to help you. Like kind Vibe. of Baba yeah. Yaga-ness to her. So the Baba Yaga, she rides through the woods on a mortar and pestle. Yeah, I was trying to remember. It was like, I was like, yeah, it's not a like, pod, she, but it's something else. Yeah, it's like she rides on like something weird. What was it? But no, she's an, this lady, she's an early prototype for the Baba Yaga. Especially so when it crazy. comes to like riding on like bizarre magical items. Being like, <laughs> nope, turns on I'm a magic and I can ride anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they... All escape together, and as they are leaving, uh, I almost called her Baba Yaga. Uh, Shawahi was like, What do you have there, Hassan? And he's like, So I've got this magic wand that uh, apparently it can control like the djinn or something. <laughs> and she was like, Oh my goodness, my master who had been working on that for years created that. And he was like, and she's like, how did you get it? And he was like, his sons were like arguing like in the woods. <laughs> and like, I threw a rock and they chased after it. <laughs> Which she thought was hilarious because apparently at one time the guy had told his sons, these magical items I'm creating, they're not meant for you. You'll never have them. They're not for you. And they were like, who will take them? And he was like, a stranger will take them from you in a trick that you will never see coming. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. And they did not. <laughs> um, so she's like, these are going to be awesome. So strike that rod on the ground. So he strikes the rod on the ground and 10 giant race of gin pop out of the ground. Their, oh, wow. their feet are buried in the ground and their heads reach all the way up to the sky and they're surrounding them. And they were like, what do you need from us, Hassan? Oh, man. And he's like, we need you to carry us back home. And they were like, nah, brah. And he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, God has commanded that the sons of Adam should never ride on the back of a jinn. And he's like, no, I know that's not right because I got here riding on the back of a jinn. And they were like, all right, so here's the thing. We've all been watching your journey. God has been controlling all of this. There's a seven-year journey back to your home. And he's like, what? Seven years? It didn't take me nearly that long. And they're like, yeah, we know. God arranged it so that you would be able to ride on a gin horse underneath the mountains. And then he sent you to a man who knew God's true name. And that is the only reason why Dinesh was able to carry you across the seven deserts in one day. And then God led you to Shawahi so that she could help you across the seven islands. But now we got to get you back, bro. <laughs> and he's like, what are we supposed to do now? So he decides, all right, so what I need to do is I need to pull out my little drum. So he beats on his drum and now gin horses appear. And he's like, okay, so this might help us. So they get onto these gin horses and they start to go across the islands and they're being led by Shawahi. So she's still able to like help them like across the islands. And as they're getting close to the first desert, this giant gin, absolutely massive, humongous, comes out of the ground in the desert. And they're like, ah, <laughs> no, no. And the gin is like, oh, no worries. I'm here to help you. And they're like, what? Help us from what? And he's like, look behind you. <laughs> and they look behind them. And the whole army of the Amazons are coming after them. Oh, but my not gosh. Just, not just the army of the Amazons is coming after them, but all the inhabitants of all the islands oh, no. are coming after them. That's crazy. <laughs> so a huge battle starts. And Hassan grabs the rod, the wand, also called the rod several times in the story. It's fine. Interchangeable. Bangs <laughs> on the ground. The 10 gin pop back up. And he's like, well, I'm going to need your help, guys. And so there's just like this huge, massive battle. But finally, the queen of the Amazons is taken prisoner and brought before Hassan and Minar Asina. And she is like, I'm so sorry for what I did. And Shawahi was like, oh, you are not nearly sorry enough. You are a horrible. And she just like lays into her about like everything <laughs> she's like ever thought about this woman. And she's like, we need to tie you up behind horses and have you dragged. Then you need to be devoured by ravenous dogs. We are going to have everything just rip you asunder, put you back together and do it again. That's so much I hate you. And Minar, Asina was like, listen. 
You are my sister. Even after all the torture that you gave me, all I want is for you to just let me go back with my husband. And the sister is like, that's cool. We will just let you go. And Hassan's like, wow, that was really nice of you. And she was like, it's (laughs) fine. (laughs) There's history there. Let's go. So they go back the way that they came and were able to kind of like meet all the people who had helped them get there. They like were able to go back through the desert. I don't think Danish helps them like get back. They have to like ride through the deserts, but when they get to the mountains, all the scholars were there and they help them through the mountains and he meets the queen of Sheba's son again, who was that first scholar and he hands him off to the uncle the uncle takes them back to the Jin sisters who are super happy that they lived and are fine. And then they head back to Baghdad. And obviously Hassan's mother is beside him herself. <laughs> Just, she's crying, sobbing. They've been gone for a couple years and she sees like her kids, uh, her grandkids. And she's just so excited. And she's like, what happened? And Hassan was like, sit down and I will tell you the tale. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And what a tale it is. That's insane. So sorry. I was like, and then, you know, some stuff happens and he gets her back and it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of stuff happens. Everybody's just like, oh, okay. I, I believe you. Like, she's gone, but then he goes and, like, gets her back, and it's like, uh, no, the story is, like, super, super long. Like, a reminder, something to think about. A Thousand and One Nights is a frame narrative. It's being told by Shahrazad. What's really interesting about... The second half of the story is especially are all of the women who pop up in the story Mm. and how different they are from each other. So Shahrazad is, you know, trying to tell these stories to convince her husband not to kill her in the morning. He has been wronged by a woman. And so now he's like marrying women and uh, murdering them. Because uh, he now hates all women because he was hurt by one. And so Mm -hmm. it's interesting because in this story, she's showing how, like, hashtag not all women. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how you use that. Like, women aren't here to, like, break your heart. Women are all different from each other. And you can't treat us all, like, the same, which is interesting. I mean, it's also interesting to think about as, like... Men and women were telling these stories. There wasn't a real woman who made this framed narrative. It's like a lot of a compilation of like different tales, but it's just interesting to me how much female representation there is in this story, but also how we see um, like some of the sisters are like jealous sisters. Mm -hmm. Some of the sisters are like, or some of the women are women helping women. And then like some of the women are not women helping women, but it's really nice to see so many different women, whether it's like gorgeous, beautiful women, women that are like friend zoned, uh, <laughs> sister zoned, uh, like, yeah, old hags who are magical and super useful. And, and then women who hate their sisters and are trying to get them killed. Yeah. Women come in all different shapes and sizes. It was so crazy. And like listening to it too, there were so many things that you see elements of in other stories. Like we've talked about, you know, the swan maiden thing and like 
even a lot, especially this second half, it reminded me so much of East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Like the whole going on a journey to get the spouse back in this place that's ridiculously far away and like magically so and needing to use magical means to get there. Like you had the the special kind of gin that you could ride on and it was like kind of remind me of like that you had to take the the wind to get to the place and you know, even like having to go to the one house and wait outside there for three days. It was like, that's was like same. Yeah. Going to these different. And, and that was true too. Is like, they went to these different, um, was it the mountains or the deserts or, well, it, whatever it was, it was like, they were going to like, we're going to this person who they're like, well, we can't really help you, but we know someone else that can. And then they get to this person. like, Oh, well, I can't help you, but we know this person that can. And then they finally send them to someone that kind of can help them get a little bit further. But then they kind of keep repeating that process. It was like, that's so much like that story. Yeah. It's insane. And what's interesting to me, uh, I found out doing like the research also that, uh, so the reason this story isn't in all translations, because since it was so long, it's not yeah. long enough to be a standalone thing, Yeah, but it's too long to be considered. Um, there's another Arabic word for it, for folk tale or fairy tale. Cause they're normally short, like little yeah. things. But this it's one's like, like not a short story. It's like a novella. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so people who were translating them were like, uh, not in a first edition. Yeah. Not in a second edition. They were like, that one is like, it's, it's a lot to ask for translators to translate. And it's a lot to ask for readers to buy into if they don't like the original premise of, you know, the translated thousand and one nights, but yeah. people really did like the thousand and one nights because they were like new and exotic tales that they'd never experienced before with characters yeah. that were unlike any that they'd ever seen in the Western world. Yeah. So it's so crazy. It's so epic too. Like when you think about, okay, that first half that we told, I mean, yeah, we had like the gin sisters and all that stuff, but it's like, it goes to such a different level Yeah. in this second half where it's like, there's literally like a battle of like celestial forces, like in heaven fighting against each other. It like goes, you know, from Iron Man to Avengers Endgame. That's the journey <laughs> that we're on throughout this story. Dude, speaking of movies, I really wish that this was a movie. I think Me too. As you're telling the story, that's like, exactly what I was thinking too. I was like, yeah. I would love to see a movie or like a TV show. And this would be so perfect to do these days, I think, too. Because, again, like you talked about like the female representation, like and really strong, like visual images with the, you know, the women in like the full chainmail suits. Yeah. It's just like this would make such an awesome movie. And I want to see it so bad, but probably not going to happen. Unfortunately. So Jeff, tell me, do you think I cheated everybody by leaving out the second half of that story? <laughs> I mean, definitely, but I do understand more than ever why you did it <laughs> because it is really long, but it's so, so good. Like so good. There are so many amazing elements inside of it. Um, especially those kind of like earlier, the characters that are in it that are going to tie back to, like either other characters when we start diving into a thousand one nights, but also characters we've already kind of seen glimpses of a little bit, like the Baba Yaga. Yeah. And I know like the Jin are going to be important in 
2001 night. So like getting to know a little bit about them. I have this really old copy of like, you know, it's uh, they call it like Arabian Nights Entertainments, but it's really, really thin. So I know it's a very small like collection from like 1918. I don't know why randomly I came across this in my house. Like it probably belonged to my grandfather or something like that. But it's like, I remember being a kid and around the same time that I'm reading like Harry Potter and stuff like that. Like I was really into kind of like, magic and whatever that type of thing and I came across this book and I like read it from cover to cover and I thought it was like amazing and I also thought it was like super cultured and cool for having read this this book of you know folk tales from the Middle East or whatever but yeah I'm I'm super excited to get into more of the Thousand One Nights because I think it's going to be some more of this like epic Hassan of Basra style uh storytelling yeah and there's there's so much to the history behind like how the tales came to be and the different tales that are added. And then also just how it came to be in kind of the English speaking world, how they kind of encountered it and the stories that they kind of latched onto first. And so, yeah, it'll be exciting. This is... T- I think that'll be really fascinating. What's also interesting is this tale, a lot of this stuff, uh, when I've seen it cut down, like in the book by Maria Tatar, that of the Beauty and the Beast stories that we did, um, Yeah, it was cut down a lot. And then also the version that I've read in Stranger Magic also cut down a lot. And the version that I was reading... Uh, the translation that I was reading, kind of like the full thing, there's so much that is about God versus people who are like infidels, heathens, people who still practice like pagan polytheism. Yeah. But then it's so interesting because as you're looking at that like complicated story of like there's all this like polytheism, but then there's also like, no, though like, Allah, like one God and like worshiping him, but there's still all of these like kind of creatures that almost like used to belong to a polytheistic pantheon. Yeah. That was something that I kind of wanted to talk about because I was like, how does this fit together where they're talking about God? But then it's like, you've got all these, they almost seem like deities as far as like the queen of the, the Amazons or whatever. It's kind of like, that's kind of like a leader of this like supernatural group of people are like the jinn supposed to be like, some kind of like angels. It was just this really yeah. weird, the way we've seen before this combination of like other places like in Europe or whatever, where we'll see how the folk tales get combined with religion. Yeah. And then they make like kind of a new thing. So I'm wondering, you know, again, well, I'm, I'm really excited to get into the thousand and one nights story of how it came to be, but like, which came first, the more, the earlier religions and that's where the jinn came from and they're kind of remnants or if that really is kind of all tied into the religious aspect because there is so much about it that's like so overtly religious and i think it it blends a lot better than we've seen in other places where you can kind of tell like in some of the european tales like i think probably because i just have a better understanding of christianity but i can say like that's something that doesn't actually jive with um, you know, the Christianity that I'm familiar with. So it, yeah. it is more of a sticking point than in this story where it felt like it blended very smoothly. Yeah. But it, it it's kind of like that, that same thing where we see like Mother Holly and Krampus and those people existing in the same holiday as like St. Nicholas. 
Yeah. And it's like they're allowed to like exist in the same like world, the same like religious kind of like sphere. And we kind of see that happening in like this story too, where it's like these kind of older pagan, almost monsters is kind of the word that like my brain wants to use. You see them kind of interacting with like, no God and like the one true God. And um, so, yeah, it's just interesting watching religions bump into each other, like religious practices bump into each other and then how they show up in stories. And then also how these stories that as we like get into it, we'll be able to see that like some of the stories are very religious and they come from a specific region, but they've been added into the tales from a different place and some of the other tales that are less religious. Yeah. And like, it's, it's just interesting to see how it, it got pieced together and it turned into this like giant snowball of stories and it'll be a fascinating ride. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully people will see why I cut this story for time. I tried to keep the elements that were kind of, more relevant to the topic that we were talking about, which like included like the key. There's also, I've like teased this a couple times. I mean, we've talked about skins and the story of like the skin that um, comes off both the cloak and him being wrapped in like a camel skin at the beginning. But I feel like that element will also become more important with some other um, European tales that we talk about later on. There's a story called donkey skin and it's an, there's another variant called cat skin where those things have a magical property. And so there's elements of that story that I was like, oh, these are going to be more relevant. The the woman bathing, because that pops up a lot in fairy tales. Um, when these like animal bride stories is there's a lot of like seeing a woman bathing and falling in love with her. <laughs> but then she, and you have to like steal her magic cloak to keep her in her human form. and That universal love story. Yep. You see a woman bathing and... You have to steal her clothes. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. I don't know if that part will get kept, but I think we have an ending in there somewhere. Okay. I'll let you find it. I'll find an ending. And if not, I'll just be like, hey, this is Jeff. (laughs) This is the end. Thanks. Bye. Yep, that'll be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Stopping.